Welcome to Getting Behind the Desk, the 12-episode podcast series about the past, present, and future of broadcast journalism. Your host, John Dills, a senior mass communications major at Piedmont University, is going to explore topics relating to what broadcast has grown to be and what we can expect in the future. This episode of Getting Behind the Desk is all about cord cutting. Cord cutting, if you don't know, is the process of getting rid of cable television. Joining me today is Professor Melissa Jackson. Professor Jackson is currently an Associate Professor of Mass Communications at Piedmont University. What originally put you into the field of broadcast? John, I think what really drew me to broadcasting was that I was, um, I loved writing, and then I also loved anything visual. I was very much into photography, and when I was in high school uh, and then going into college, the more I worked in both of those areas, I was just drawn. I wanted to put that together, and I loved telling stories. I found, uh, particularly in college when I was working with newspapers, that I loved telling people stories, that it was an honor to do so. I've been told very similar stories by people who have decided later that they didn't want to go into English or they didn't want to go into newspaper that were following kind of broadcast as like, they started writing or they started taking photos and then they slowly just got there. So I think that's really interesting. I think that's a really good start. What was the start of the digital age of broadcast like in your perspective? Imagine me sitting in front of a console and developing every day, sometimes several times a day, a newscast. And you are um, multitasking like a banshee. And then someone comes up and says, oh, you need to do something else. It's this little thing called the internet. And we have it in the back of the room now. We have one person back there and we want you to do some more. And your reaction to that is usually not really positive uh, when you're in the news business because you are already so very stressed. To kind of give you some perspective, it would be kind of like if I came to you and you already have two research papers do and you're just starting both of them that week and then I say hey can you do another paper just on the side (laughs) yeah that that feels a little a little overwhelming and seeing it from that perspective it must have felt like a shock was that what it was like was it a shock or was it just like this is a lot is this what I want to do It was absolutely like such a disregard for that little thing called the internet with that person on the back of the room. And even more so, uh, not only for me, because I was, uh, as a, a news manager and a news producer, I was having to ask my reporters to turn more content for this thing called the internet, okay, for that person back there in the corner. And they were already, you know, they were doing a live shot, they were doing packages, they were doing two or three hits during the day, and then they were having to come back and usually put together another version for whatever um, the next newscast was that was live on air. Uh, that they had to leave it. So, for instance, if they did something for the 6 o'clock news, they were having to leave something already extra for the 11 o'clock or the 10 o'clock news. So then I was having to come to them and say, hey, I need you to produce some content too, if you don't mind, before you leave, Um, you know, for this thing called the Internet, and we don't know if it's real important, but I need you to do it. You mentioned it was, like, in the back of the room. Um, I have multiple kind of questions surrounding that specifically. 
But I think first and foremost, was this like, did they hire someone in on the job of internet production at that time? Or was that like, just like someone got thrown there? At the very beginning, uh, I was in a newsroom in Charlotte, WSOC TV at the time. Um, and at that time, uh, I believe that they had someone start doing initially, um, this was somewhere in the mid-90s, like it's also part of your job along with X. And then they actually brought someone in uh, to start addressing it. And as they got more serious about it, obviously they were pushing us as producers and as reporters to deliver more content. And it was really very a very small amount. But then we started you know, as it as the internet started rolling and and um, we started seeing that there were some stories that would just take off, and when that happened, we we started turning our head a little bit ago. Hmm, maybe that maybe that person in the back of the room that's working with whatever they're doing back there, um, maybe they really do have a role, and maybe we should start paying attention to it more. And I know this sounds really crazy, but at the very beginning, it, it really was just a, um, you know, one of those things you had to do. And now, you know, digital is king, uh, oftentimes For in the sure. newsroom. Kind of towards the beginning of that story, you were like, they had approached you and said that you need to create content for the internet. So did, did you feel like it was just busy work and what were what were really the thoughts of the reporters that were having to make this additional content too and prepare and do more like what was that like for them do you know absolutely um first of all there were a lot of complaints and a lot of times people would say they were going to do things and leave things for the internet and then they didn't um, because they were so overworked um, and they were having to do so much extra and that was really, as you said, kind of busy work. Uh, and, and, and I felt that way too. Uh, I hated as a manager asking them to do that kind of thing. But then as I said, there were some stories that started being picked up more and more, even in its infancy. And when that happened, I think everyone in the newsroom started looking back there and go, well, maybe this story really would take off. And we started considering it more and more, not as something like you just push away and it's, oh, I got to do that, um, as more of, this is maybe a good way to get that out. And when that happened, it was like really turning a corner for all of us. It was very eye-opening uh, when we saw some stories that would just get such traction on it. And this may not be like completely related to cord cutting and the getting rid of cable. Was there a target audience shift during that time going from cable to internet? I would so I would say at the beginning when we were making that transition from uh, cable to the internet, there wasn't a huge shift in the the type of content. There were some things that we absolutely knew that would be more popular. But I don't think that we went into um, a newscast saying, okay, we're going to do this story because it's going to do well on the internet. As time went on, and the internet obviously got more traction, then it became that all of a sudden this person in the back of the room started really joining all of our news meetings, started being in our strategy sessions, started being in looking at, you know, identifying, it became part of the morning news meeting, okay, we're identifying this story 
as a story that will definitely go on the internet versus just, and sometimes it was specific content that we might not even put on the newscast. And so that was a really big change too, because then we started generating content, a little bit of content that was just for the internet. And again, that was something that we had never done before. I think that's a big change, especially for that editor that was over internet only stories, right? So they started in the corner. They were they were no one to everyone else. And then all of a sudden the internet is blowing up and they're a part of this big newscast. So I think that's a really, I think hearing that story and hearing like, especially how they eventually became included because they became so important. That's really cool. There are two main generations that are still keeping their subscription to cable television, and that is the Baby Boomers and Generation X. Why, in your opinion, is that important? I can maybe talk a little bit about why they still have this. I mean, just to kind of give you um, a little bit of a a feel for this, John. Um, I read an article that said in 2010 about 91% of people had some kind of subscription, pay TV, and that in 2021 that that became 60%. And that actually in 2026 coming up, they believe that's going to be below 50%. But that's, and that's a huge difference, right? I mean, that's half audience, um, you know, going down. But you still look at that and go like, well, even at 2021, that's 60% of people that are still paying for subscription, pay subscription services. And we all have this, you know, we have YouTube, we have Hulu, we have Amazon, we have Netflix, we have all these different things for streaming. Why are they paying for these subscription services? Part of it might be that um, a lot of the companies are, once they started losing customers for just um, purely for pay TV, you know, they are still providing internet because one of the things historically, when they, uh, when cable companies first set up and put up those lines all over the country, they discovered at a certain point, oh, we can put the internet line in that big cable as well, and we can make even more money, right? And so that is actually what a lot of the cable companies are now focusing on. They are either doing a couple of things. They're either focusing on the services that they can give to customers uh, via the internet or phone, and that's becoming getting into the phone industry as well, or they are looking at uh, making very specific content that is going to be uh, so popular that it's going to be binge watch worthy. You know, your Game of Thrones, your Handmaid's Tale, you know, those kinds of things that are very specific that um, that will keep that audience um for as far as the streaming services, um, and some of the cable channels are, are are experimenting with that more and more as well. But I think as far as the um, baby boomers and Gen X, um, why I say all that is that, you know, we we grew up really with appointment TV, which is something that you all have never grown up really with anymore. For the most part, 
it's on your own time. You all pick when you want to watch something, unless there's something like the Super Bowl or something like that. Uh, you all have you all don't, have never had that, but we would make an appointment to see something because oh, we got to be in front of the TV at eight o'clock to watch this, and that's something that you know what we call cord nevers. Okay, the generation that you all are in. Um, we never had, you know, we've never experienced what you've experienced. Yeah. And the funny thing is, like, I look at my niece and my nephews, and they're so in tune with technology, even compared to me, and I'm Generation Z. And they're, first of all, they're able to do stuff I can't do as a mass communications major, which is, like, unbelievable, like they can run social media better than I can. It feels like, and but it's so crazy because they don't know what I'm talking about when I would say like, oh, when I was your age, I would watch this certain show at this time at like 8 p.m. at night or something, and they've never experienced that because they've had Netflix, they've had Hulu, they've had Disney Plus, they've had all these different subscriptions that are just there and they can access and it's first of all it's cheaper than cable television and that's one reason for a big push towards it but I think it's just unbelievable that the difference and we look at my parents right so my parents are my dad is a baby boomer and my mom is gen x right as I was leaving for college in 2018 my mom and I had the conversation that she was tired of cable television. So we talked over her options. And at first, they decided they were going to stick to strictly Netflix, nothing else. They were going to pay, I think, $10 a month for that subscription. And they started with that. They were very, very unhappy. Um, specifically my dad who really was attached to cable television, being able to flip through channels, like no, of course there's organization, but being able to start a show in the middle of it, you know, that an organization is really what kind of fits him. And so having to start something from the beginning, regardless to him was very odd at first. And so there was that pushback on that part too. And eventually They've kind of gotten to this point where they're they're using Hulu and Discovery Plus now, and they're my dad uses the Hulu Live T TV subscription, but he also will seek out specific things that he wants to watch, and I think that's a big step for him in the advancement of this because he was so used to having to be in front of the TV at a specific time if he wanted to watch something very specific, and then for my mom, she's very. I would say she's very technology like advanced and in tune with what's happening and she just picked up on it right away like instantly and was very in tune with that side of it but it was it I think it was still a little bit of a shock though even her knowing how it works and realizing that this is why we're doing like that she's paying for it I think it was still a shock. I think, you know, and I think that's interesting, John, you say that about your mom, because I do truly think there's three groups of people. They're the early adopters, people who can't wait to try something. You have the group of people that are 
show me the advantages and I'll, you know, eventually hop on that train. And then you have the people who are really going to be resistant, which might have been your dad, at least initially. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and, and, uh, you know, my parents right now, they are part of that, you know, 60% that are still, um, have subscription uh, pay TV. And there, there's no way you're going to change that for them. They, I think also as you get older, you, you know, as you hear, you get set in your ways, you know, and you, there's so much new technology and so many new things that the older generation and particularly the aging baby boomers on up, you know, are having to, you know, keep up with every week. I'm sure you feel that too, even. Yeah. I feel like there's, there's constantly a shift in society as a whole is where we're going. And it's obviously very forward. So some weeks there's a slow shift. (laughs) Some weeks there's a very violent shift forward into the future. What is the future of the way that broadcast television is produced look like? So are we going to be looking into like short segments that are produced for just a virtual streaming service or is it going to be lengthy news shows that are produced for a streaming service, short clips on a website? What way do you think we're headed now? I think what I've seen all the way through my broadcasting career was that things just got shorter and shorter and shorter. And even when I was in uh, more of the programming vein, when I was um, you know, producing documentaries and special programs, that eventually it became so hard to rally for something that was going to be an hour long. And that shorter and shorter and shorter was really the way to go. And then I would say, even for broadcast news, uh, there's been a lot of experiments in some of the news stations because people started in even the news business, you know, news segments started getting so short, you know, like, okay, 10 seconds, 10 seconds, 10 seconds, 10, 10, 15 seconds, okay, on every single story, that then they started going, well, let's experiment and let's go with a longer piece. They keep flipping back and forth because there's really not a clear answer on this right now. I would say that even when I was doing programming that I was being asked to not only make the documentary of whatever length it might be, but I was also being asked to make all the content for digital as well. So I was making original content for digital, and then I was also making the content for the actual show that would be on TV. Um, and both of those were very two different things, but the same kind of content. And at times it was challenging to be able to splinter all of that and fragment even your content like that. But um, as far as the future, wow, John, that, you know, it's kind of wide open. No one really knows right now which way that's going to go. And it's so hard to guess, especially because you look at where social media and content that's produced on social media, where is that going? So you have YouTube that's taking more of a longer route, longer videos, longer content, and more in-depth content. Then you have something like TikTok that very fast-paced, 7 seconds, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, where it's very cut and dry. It's, it is what it is if it's something news-related and if it's entertainment it's still very fast and you're going on like that. So I think it I think there's so many options of where it can go. There's no 
way to say, honestly, in my in my opinion. So I, I think that a lot of it would be interesting to see what happens just in terms of each of these individual outlets, you know, make the decision on their content and you go on all their streaming services and you can click here, click here, click here, click here. It'd be interesting, let's say, if you there was one place where you went to get information on Ukraine and then that opened up to all the different kinds of different versions about the Ukraine. And it kind of makes me think about, you know, what if this was done really more topically? It's almost like Google, right? You know, you pull up Google and you have all these options. But what if what if uh, programming went more that route? Um, and you see, like, you don't see full effects of that, obviously. You don't see it in the way that you're describing it. But Apple TV is kind of taking a similar route of, let's say you go on your Apple TV and you search Ukraine. So you might get a few recent news stories about what's happening. But then you're also unrelated to what the news is of it. You're going to see documentaries about Chernobyl and documentaries about the wildlife there. And you're going to see completely different things that are really unrelated, but still related. And it's just the matter of the search. So I think it's a... Everything is still up in the air, but I think that's definitely a million-dollar idea that someone is going to take and run with, for sure. And it's going to be a big change, but a good one. What would your advice be to those who are going into broadcast news now since you've experienced that big shift in viewership during cable cutting? John, I think my advice is to just be very, very flexible when I went into broadcasting, it was because I wanted to be a storyteller, and I certainly developed into what kind of storyteller. You know, first I wanted to be in news, later in documentary and programming. Um, but I was the, my first and my foremost mission was to be a storyteller. Now, you have to be so flexible, okay? Because you're being asked to not just do a documentary or a program, you're being asked to be a storyteller in TikTok or, uh, you know, a, a storyteller in all these different platforms. And it might not be originally what you plan to do, uh, but you have to be versatile. And so every, every single platform, you really need to know those because that is really going to be the ticket, uh, I think, going forward in in being successful is being able to be versatile and move from one to the other to the other or to be able to make content for multiple kinds of platforms just effortlessly. It uh, doesn't mean you have more time to do it, but you need to know how to do it and and to know all the technology involved, which lays a really a, a very heavy mantle on you when you go into this business because there's already so many things you need to know how to do, right? <laughs> I want to thank Professor Melissa Jackson for joining me today on this episode of Getting Behind the Desk. Thank you for listening to Getting Behind the Desk with John Dills. Look for a new episode each week highlighting different perspectives of broadcast journalism from the past, present, or future. 